Hey there, you're listening to The Brave Yes, the show where we explore the many brave yes leaps that heart-centered, passionate women can make in order to show up in this world more fully as you, without apology. I'm your host, Sean Fink, a coach who helps you dig out from the rubble of a busy life of shoulds and expectations and design your most authentic, courageous life or career path. So welcome to the start of a really fun, beautiful series that I cannot wait to tell you more about. This all started with a little bit of a challenge from a friend of mine who knows that I tend to get a little bit frustrated with how women are treated and how families are suffering as a result of mistreatment, demoralization, and the extreme stress that many women are living and working and operating under. So I decided to do a series called The Politics of Languishing. In my last blog post and podcast, I talk about how I believe strongly that women have been languishing for years, if not decades. And today I'm going to start that series, The Politics of Languishing, by diving into one of several ways that women are feeling trapped and stuck and unable to get ahead. So basically, women that I've worked with, women who identify as women, women who are juggling. I always say, if you're, if you're in the juggle, you're in the struggle. And it's true. If you are feeling stretched thin, if you are feeling like you just, you do all the things and you do not get ahead, this series is going to be for you. So we're tired, we're exhausted, and if what I believe is true, that women have been languishing for years, possibly decades, it's worth to dive into the political, meaning the small p, political traps that have us feeling that we can't get ahead. So this series will go under the hood of the everyday political structures that my clients and myself have experienced to keep us in place or feeling stagnant. And so the goal here is to highlight some of these power structures and to start to lean in and see if you can change them for yourself or even better for others. And if you stick around to the end, I am pretty sure you're gonna get a valuable tip. And so it will be worth it to you. Now this podcast is going to summarize the extensive blog post that accompanies this idea, which is the exhausting politics of overworking and overdoing. So I'm going to summarize because I think that it would be a 60 minute podcast if I kept, if I did every little piece of it. It's a, it's a long blog post and I encourage you to head over and read the whole thing, highlight the parts that are important to you and share it with a friend. 
And if the friend doesn't want to read it, they can listen to this podcast. That's <laughs> the way that's going to work. So I'm going to start off with the story. I love to start off with stories of my own life, and I think you'll get a kick out of this one. So when I was a teenager, I would get home from a long day at school, grab a snack, watch some really bad television, and often fall asleep on the couch. After a nice break, I would clean up, do my homework, my chores, and kind of move on with the day. But on some really rare occasions, before I could emerge from my downtime, my stepfather, who was a hardworking truck driver, would arrive home early. Beep, beep, beep. This was the alarm clock dinging me awake from my dreams as his 18-wheeler backed into our longish driveway. As the beep, beep, beep sound rang in my ears, I would jump up off the couch frantically, hurry and clean up and pretend like I hadn't been sleeping or resting or watching television because I didn't want to face his judgment that I was lazy. My heart still pounds thinking about the ridiculousness of those moments. The truth is that rest, leisure, play, and pleasure was not at the heart of my nuclear family. In fact, the only thing that was valued was hard work and saving your money. It didn't take long into my own adulthood to realize that kind of living is not for me. That I value being fulfilled through the art of being and the vastness of what pleasure and mindfulness can bring to a life and a family. And it's something that I still have to catch myself getting caught up in if I'm not careful. I'll easily choose over-functioning, over-underperforming any day, and I have to make sure that I am thriving in mind, body, and spirit as I work to make an impact in this world. Breaking down that long-time work ethic that I was raised with, that many of you, I'm sure, were also raised with, is almost always at the heart of the private coaching work I do with my highly ambitious creatives, leaders, change makers, and business owners, women who value a more meaningful, fulfilled life, but have no idea how to achieve it, and their innermost dreams and longings because they get so hung up on the hard work that they need to do. And at the heart of all the hard work that has women feeling exhausted and trapped is what I call soul exhaustion. And the root of soul exhaustion is an insatiable desire to keep forcing and striving, often without a real vision of what you're aiming for, And so you're just overdoing everything in pursuit of a better tomorrow, a better you, a better life, a better something. All of this is why I believe so strongly that many women, especially mothers, trying to make their work and family life work in balance, have been languishing for years. And the pandemic actually gave them a glimpse into another way of living another life. 
But I, of course, have known that because when I was a working mom out of the house, I was constantly trying to avoid falling into exhaustion and despair while simultaneously striving to get to the next level until I realized that life is not for me either. And in 2013, I designed a more aligned life for myself so that I can serve and empower women to design a beautiful life of impact and ease, earn an income, and be home with my daughters as needed. And by the way, I'm still needed. (laughs) I've been running my own coaching business for eight years full-time where I have freedom, simplicity, pleasure, and joy, as well as struggles and hardship because no job is perfect. The challenge of designing a more aligned life for ourselves. Designing a life along with a business or career that infuses our authenticity with our values and creates a feeling of wholeness requires that we change how we're doing life and requires that we set down some of the old patterns we've picked up along the way. For me, I had no problem shedding the politics of overworking when I started working and living a much slower pace. But for many, that kind of a big change feels nearly impossible because the politics of overworking is so ingrained in us that a thriving life filled with meaning and impact seems unattainable. But I believe in empowering women to unearth your higher purpose and design your life around living it and moving toward it at all times. But if that doesn't seem possible, and quite frankly, it's not always possible for all, we must know that we don't have to burn it all down but we do need to know that sometimes changing our circumstances so that we are not having to overwork feels impossible. And that's because work is essential, even if a person isn't. And money is necessary even when it's not enough. And being trapped in a bad situation is better than being out of a job. And hustling is rewarded more than settling for less. Being caught up in a system that keeps you busy leads you further away from your zone of genius and higher purpose, but it's safe and comfortable, and we like to stay there. Today, as capitalism soars, we are all paying the price for the unintended consequences of the overwork ethic of past generations mixed with an inundation of constantly evolving technology that has us tethered to our personal work ethic more than ever. So I want to, for the sake of this piece, define work and overwork. And I'm simply doing this from my own perspective. This is not an academic definition by any stretch. But I see work as being anything that isn't pleasure, rest, and joy. Anything that isn't pleasure, rest, and joy. 
Work can be dishes. It can be a deadline or a project. It can be answering emails, checking emails, texting with committee members or bosses. It can be social media, paying bills, mowing the lawn. It can be long hours for your boss just to prove your worth. It can be homeschooling. If it feels like work, it's work in my book. So I want to speak to how technology is leading the way to our, our languishing. Because if I see anything that has perhaps gone wrong in our society over the last decade, it is the invention of non-stop technology in our lives. And sometimes when I'm in a space of overwhelm and overwork, I like to think about the old days and how simple it must have been. I like to teleport myself right into the Anne with an E series that sadly ended way too soon. And imagine lighting candles for light and doing everything by hand manually. Those days are long gone and I wonder sometimes if we're trying to be more like robots than human beings. And if this great desire to keep up with technology is actually making us work harder, because honestly, we're just not that smart or evolved yet as a species, but we are trying every day to be smarter than our computers. We're trying to be faster than our computers. The end result is that we're exhausted by the overworking we are doing simply because of our ability to grab a phone and start working, learning, absorbing, communicating, and consuming. And the pandemic life, of course, drove these bad habits home for so many, literally. The fact of the matter is that we are easily influenced by the overwork culture simply through our convenient devices. We can wake up and check email. We can eat lunch and work on our social media accounts. We can be at our kid's soccer game and take the client call. We can respond to our boss's text messages in the middle of family dinner. We can wake up and go into our home office and stay there all day and all night if we wish. We can rock our baby to sleep and take a professional development course. We can hop on an important Zoom call during our vacation. If anything, the idea of pleasure, leisure, and rest has gotten so lost in the past decade than ever before that, if we, have, that we have forgotten what it can feel like to value being bored, to value the art of doing nothing, to create space for bursting creativity and joy and awe and to understand the value of just being rather than doing. But there is a larger issue at play here, something much bigger and harder to tackle. And that elephant in the room is capitalism, which is driving our overworking culture. And that pressure to overwork is leading to our languishing. Once you start going under the hood of the economy and poverty and the politics of who's thriving and who's not, it's really hard to not see the truth of the matter. It's hard to not see how white elitists are worrying about your boats 
and your elaborate vacations, and yet your friends in a different zip code are worried about how their child is going to get internet access and safe drinking water. We have a huge well-being gap being caused by capitalism and income disparity. Now, I'm not going to get into the dissertation on capitalism because it obviously has some good parts and some bad parts. The idea of capitalism is that anybody can bring an idea forth at any time, which is a great gift of freedom for those of us who are creatives and want to be business owners. But the problem is that capitalism, and this is a quote from Kim Kelly in a great piece that she wrote for Teen Vogue, capitalism takes the position that greed is good, which its supporters say is a positive thing. Greed drives profits and profits drive innovation and product development, which means there are more choices available for those who can afford them. Its opponents say that capitalism is by nature exploitive and leads to a brutally divided society that tramples the working classes in favor of fattening the rich's wallets. The evidence is clear. Overworking and striving for more isn't creating a system for well-being for all. If anything, it's causing extreme disparities in all areas of life, including financial. But here's the other part of this. Overworking morphs into toxic productivity and overfunctioning. Now, I am a big fan of hard work. I believe in teaching my kids hard work. I believe in working for what you have. I have nothing against hard work. I am a hard worker. Toxic productivity, however, is a different entity in and of itself. So when does hard work lean toward something unhealthy and unfulfilling? Well, toxic productivity is an insatiable desire to keep chasing more, 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 and still feeling like you have not done enough or are enough. It's, it's pretty clear that you've crossed the line into toxic pro productivity if your working hard becomes a 24-7 nightmare with no breaks, little life fulfillment and resentment, and you have begun to morph into toxic productivity. And it should be our number one enemy as a society. It's what eats at you when you just can't stop and rest. It's what keeps you from connecting with yourself and each other. And it's what steals family time. It's what steals pleasure and joy. So as I was writing this piece and putting it together, I did a ton of research. I have to tell you that I was caught up in the idea of toxic productivity and recognized that there are times when I experience that. And it is definitely a part of the patterning that I am trying to unlearn in myself. And it's the work that I continue to try and do for myself and with my clients because it is deep rooted. It is deep rooted. That attribute 
of doing more work than necessary, of over-functioning, of toxic productivity, really stands out to me when you think about the fact that we don't think we're enough. And when we're chasing more and more and more, it really does lead to toxic productivity or overfunctioning. Brene Brown describes overfunctioners as having the tendency to move quickly, to give advice, rescue, take over, micromanage, get in other people's business rather than looking inward. <laughs> Which I think at times I definitely do that, especially with my kids or my partner. Um, less so with other people. Um, I'm definitely somebody who looks inward but I definitely wanna hurry up and, and rescue and take over and micromanage at times, at times, especially in situations where I know that I can probably do a better job. <laughs> so I'm a chronic over-functioner myself, as is Brene Brown, and I know the signs when my over-functioning side takes over, and I know now to give myself compassion in those moments that being a hard worker goes right back to those younger years of my life when that beep, beep, beep of the truck jostled me into a panic. So what is all this overworking and overdoing doing to us exactly? Well, according to a new study published earlier this month by the World Health Organization, research shows that people working more than 54 hours a week are at a major risk of dying from overwork. And there's more. In a great piece by the Eon uh, publication, The Work Ethic is a Tentpole of National Identity Politics. Reading between the lines across the media or even just skimming the headlines gives one the impression that we are a nation under attack. And this is talking about the United States. One national poll until 2015 found that 72% of respondents said the United States isn't as great as it once was. The principal culprit was the country's declining belief in the value of hard work. More people thought our own lagging work ethic was a threat to our American greatness. And yet, at the same time, and in the same article, it talks about how the, the evidence actually says otherwise. That we're actually working longer hours, that the wage and salary workers rose, the hours that wage and salary workers rose 13%. And that's about five extra weeks per year. And then also it talks about how there's even evidence that working from home during the pandemic, people put in longer hours than they had been before. And in addition to the longer hours, Workers suffered from irregular schedules, volatile by design, that change at their employer's whims. And there's also the mass of the so-called involuntary unemployed, constantly seeking, but not finding enough work hours to survive. We can do better for our neighbors and our community. We can do better for our families, and we must do better. And so when you feel like all you do is work and work and work, and when rest is seen as lazy and unproductive, we end up feeling exhausted and empty. When your identity and self-worth are tied up in your productivity and work ethic, of course you will feel awful when you aren't doing enough 
or certainly when you're doing nothing. But hard work without rest, without space, without nourishing self-care time leads to languishing and burnout. Gone are the days of our mental health days. Not too long ago, a reader responded to one of my emails about rest with this quote and her thoughts. She, the quote said, but in a society reflexively suspicious of rest, getting a restorative break tends to require a formal mental health diagnosis. Otherwise, you risk getting called a slacker. And that's what happened to Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez a couple of years ago when she announced she was taking a few days off for self-care after a grueling election. Congresswoman-elect AOC hasn't started her new job, Fox News blared, but she's already taking a break. My reader wrote this, quote, This got me thinking that maybe we need to bring back the nervous breakdown to protect the nation's collective reserve of nerve forced at a time when it stretched so thin. What would the modern version of a culturally accepted nervous breakdown precipitated timeout look like? Ah, yes. What would that look like? So, it all stands to reason that once you know better, you know better. But what do you do about it, especially if you're feeling trapped? So living in alignment has never been more valued and never been easier. When I started my own business in 2013, I was simply approaching it as being a freelance writer. But that doesn't mean it's easy. And starting a business where you can be free isn't always ideal for you or your life circumstances. Finding gainful employment and feeling like you're in your values can also be a challenge. And we can't just walk away from our jobs. Anne Helen Peterson wrote in her newsletter that while we have the support of technology, our self-worth is still pulled from being productive. She writes, We've reached the point of diminishing returns. I think we know this. You can see it explicitly manifest in anti-hustle culture, in the renewed embrace of unions and the labor movement and the popularity of books like How to Do Nothing and movements like the Nap Ministry. Some people have known it for a long time. Some are just gradually coming to terms with it. A lot of it, I've found, depends on just how inoculated you were by productivity culture. Were you surrounded with examples of productivity as success, or were the productive people in your life the most exhausted and pissed off? Whether or not you can set fire to a job that doesn't respect you or honor your need for rest, it's not about how much you accomplish. It's about the impact you make. In this podcast, we often talk about wholeness and life alignment as a way of life. And I've interviewed women who have made grave yes leaps in order to experience greater well-being and wholeness. And there's been a theme. If you want to be authentically happy with how you spend your days and your time, you're going to need to live your values and seek out life fulfillment. Your self-worth is directly tied to your ability to flourish and thrive and live a meaningful life. In my last piece, I talked about how women have been languishing for years 
And languishing is simply a sense of stagnation and emptiness. It feels like you're muddling through your days, according to Adam Grant, whose post went viral in the New York Times. The only way out of languishing is finding flow, which I think is more finding meaning and purpose in your life, not necessarily working less, but feeling more alive. We need to feel like we have purpose and meaning, and we can't do that when we wrap up our worth and identities in how much we accomplish each day. Long lists of to-dos crossed off may feel good at the time, but by the end of the day or the week, we still feel empty. That's why my coaching philosophy is designed around helping you focus only on the highest impact and long-term gains in your life and why we spend a lot of time asking questions like, what can I do to make a bigger difference this week? Who am I when I put away my to-do list? How can I stay true to myself and my values? When we live in a state of hurried and harried, it's hard to make time for a flow state or to listen for our higher purpose. When we feel trapped in an overworking cycle where we can't find contentment or worthiness without overdoing everything, we feel a sense of emptiness and stagnation. If all you live for is your to-do list, you're likely feeling as if you have just been muddling through your days. If you want to feel more alive, overworking is not going to get you there, at least not with any long-term gains. When we find flow and wholehearted focus in our days again, we experience bliss. And then it's all flourishing from there. So you're probably wondering, okay, this is all good and fine, but what do I do? How do I, how do I get out of this pattern, this cycle, this oppressive power structures, political uh, entity that shows up when I'm at work and you know nobody wants to take a break because we're afraid somebody's going to think we're lazy or unproductive. By the way, that reminds me of a, a funny client story um, of a client who was talking about how um, they really wanted to leave work early, not, not early, but on time, um, and worried that others would think that they were unproductive. And I, I asked, I said, so when other people leave on time, do you, do you judge them? <laughs> and my client said, um, yes, yes, I do. <laughs> Which is so perfect, right? So perfect. Of course, we're judging. And I'm going to talk more about that later. But what can you do now? First, there are three ways to fight back against overworking and toxic productivity. By the way, there are more than three ways to fight back against overworking and toxic productivity. But for this article and this podcast, I am simply focusing on three areas. Number one, focus on impact and flow. We see the evidence of how busy work can really zap our children's time when they are in school. It's a waste of time and energy when play and creativity would be a much better source of learning. I am not a fan of busy work, and I don't think it's great for adults either. So the next time you think you should be doing something, and I'm doing air quotes right now, notice how you need to fill your time and ask yourself if that is busy work or impact work. And ask yourself if you could fill your time with something even better, pleasure. 
And if you're not sure what brings you pleasure, that is exactly what we figure out in private coaching. Number two, take your rest seriously. As a creative soul, writer, coach, mom, I take energy management and rest very seriously. I have to. It's the only way I can sustain my momentum and my positive energy. It's the only way I can show up for my family and clients with joy. And by the way, rest comes in many forms, not just laying down and napping. Sometimes rest is asking for help on a big problem or struggle so you don't have to keep worrying about it and ruminating over it and dealing with it on your own. Sometimes you just need someone to tell you what to do and help you create a solid plan. Number three, finding your good enough quota. If you've been following me over the last decade or so, you know that I'm big on helping women feel enough and experience what enough feels like. I used to, back years ago, I was wrong in thinking that I could help women feel enough by just giving them the mantra, I am enough. That doesn't work. There is actually work that needs to be done to feel enough and to feel like you are enough and to feel like you have done enough. I've worked with women on feeling enough and I have said it over and over. Enoughness is an inside job. Only you can ever help yourself feel validated and enough. But that also means you have to find your good enough quota. You can work all day long and keep doing all the things and unless you have a good enough quota in your mind, you might get to the end of the day feeling not enough. Knowing what is good enough for you is essential to being able to stop, relax, and let go, knowing you did enough. So finally, I'm going to leave you with this, a vision of thriving for all, which is my brave yes this week in asking you to be a part of this. In my own social justice work, I'm constantly talking to women about equity. Equity isn't just in money, though. Money is one absolute path to thriving, and it should not be minimized or diminished. But it's also important to remember that we all deserve to feel alive and like we matter. It's important to remember that living on $300 a month is not sustainable for any family budget, and yet many women are doing just that. And so the vision you create for yourself to no longer languish, to no longer overwork, must also include how to help others thrive as well. Because as long as some of us are languishing, we're all going to have work to do. And you don't have to overwork or overdo to find your worth, but you do have to use your voice and be in the right places at the right time to be a part of the solutions. And while we may not destroy the patriarchy or the capitalist system today or even this year, unfortunately, there is one thing we can all do to start thriving and flourishing right now. And that is we can relax. We can relax our expectations of ourselves and More importantly, we can relax our expectations of others. Ask yourself if you are letting toxic productivity lead or if you are letting your heart lead. Thank you so much for listening. If this show 
this episode speaks to you, please share it with a friend. Please leave a review. I would love for you to leave a review so that I have some beautiful voices to reference and um, to also help spread the word about this podcast. Your reviews matter. They help the algorithm show the podcast to others. And again, share it with a friend, share it with a coworker if it speaks to you. And I really appreciate you paying it forward because those of us who do this kind of creative work require and need your ability to share this work with others. Have a wonderful week. Have a wonderful time relaxing your expectations. And may you pull back on your overworking and your overdoing and find some space to feel alive.